What's going on, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 257 of the show. I'm a little bit upset, gotta be honest with you, uh, because my, my Yankees, I'm a New York Yankee fan, and they are absolutely awful this year. They are so bad. Uh, as of the recording of this, our record is like below 500, which means that we have more losses than we do wins. Uh, making it to the playoffs, which start in like a couple of weeks, is not happening. And it's just like, it's a literal dumpster fire. It is horrible. I've been watching the Yankees since 1993. I've never had a season where I'm as disappointed and angry <laughs> as I am this season. It's so bad. It's so bad. And uh, yeah, it's annoying, you know? And I tell you this because I think it was last week or last time I, I last episode, uh, in the intro, I was telling you about how I'm in this place where I'm struggling to let things go. And it sounds really stupid. Okay, it sounds really dumb. But I'm struggling to let go of the Yankees being in the playoffs. Why? Because when I was a kid, um, things were things weren't always easy when I was a kid. And the Yankees were like the one constant for me. Like I can remember coming home from school and watching the Yankee game at night. It was kind of like my way to just like check out, you know. And especially when it got to like school started to start up again. I didn't really like going back to school because I, I got picked on a lot, things like that. And I didn't really like school. But when I started school in September, I knew that like in just a few weeks, the playoffs were going to be starting. That was going to be a solid distraction that was going to take me probably into November uh, when we would have, you know, um, Thanksgiving and the holidays starting up again and then come to the new year and then like half the school year is over, you know. And so I always felt like the Yankees were like there, they're like this thing. And this year, like I said this to Dana the other day, I'm like, I need the Yankees to be in the playoffs. <laughs> I need a distraction maybe more than any other year in, in recent history for me, given everything that's going on this year. And I'm like, they're not even going to make the playoffs. Like, it's over in like a couple weeks. And I'm a baseball fan. Like, I enjoy watching baseball. I'm a really big Yankee fan. I have tons of memorabilia around my office. I wear like a different Yankee t-shirt every day. I'm that, I'm that guy, you know. And uh, so it's just really disappointing to me that they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. So I'm sad. I'm angry. And I made a meme <laughs> the other day. It was a picture of Yankee Stadium with the Spirit Halloween sign <laughs> on the front because I have to make myself laugh so I don't cry. Uh, but anyway, so I don't know why I tell you that, but I just did because it's, it's on my mind at the moment. But today, friends, we are talking to Chelsea Kim Long. Who is Chelsea Kim Long? Well, go to our Instagram handle, which is Chelsea Kim Long. And I'm going to read for you uh, a little bit from her bio. Uh, it says, lay theologian, uh, meditation teacher, exploring embodied spirituality, post-evangelical Christian mystic, neighborhood faith practitioner. And then she has a link and says, subscribe, subscribe to dive deep with me. Uh, Chelsea, for me, is a virtual pastor. Uh, if you go to her Instagram and you see the things that she does, uh, the ways that she interacts with people, 
uh, she is doing some very real pastoral work, uh, which I think is super, super interesting. Uh, in the episode, she talks to us about her journey from where she was to where she is. And we talk about how that tendency that we have when we deconstruct to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like we get kind of angry about some things and it's like, oh, well, everything is bad, right? Like burn it all to the ground. And I think we all go through that kind of season. But what I love about Chelsea is that she is in this place where she's realizing that it's not all bad. Not everything was bad. Some of it was very good. And kind of taking the good things forward with her uh, to revive them and give them some new life as she mixes them in with other things that she's exploring these days. So we talk about all the things, church, you know, the Bible, Jesus. Uh, we touch on a lot of different topics in a short amount of time. Uh, but please do yourself a favor. Go uh, follow her on Instagram. Uh, explore the different links that she has in her bio. Put some of them in the show notes as well. Uh, really good person doing really good things uh, in the world. So I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. It's been, I we recorded it like in February. So props to Chelsea for having patience with me uh, to get this episode out. But we're finally getting it out. And hey, you know what? Good things are worth waiting for, right? That's the saying, and it's very true in many instances, but especially uh, this one. So all of Chelsea's links are in the, in the show notes, also in the show notes, uh, links to my books, uh, Patreon if you want to support the show, uh, links to the website, the blog, and all the different things. Um, I wanted to tell you that we're going to start doing, just real quick, I'm looking at my calendar. Where is my calendar? Oh, here it is. We're going to start doing regular weekly episodes starting in October. Um, I was going to wait till November, but I feel like I'm ready to start putting out the regular episodes again. Um, I have a lot of them recorded, um, and so they're ready to go out. And we're just going to go and see where we end up. We're going to go through December 18th, uh, which will be our Christmas episode with Alexander uh, John Shia. And then we'll take the 25th and the 1st, or the 25th, sorry, off because that's Christmas. And then starting January 1st for New Year, we're going to do something interesting. We're going to do a, a little bit of a series that's going to be interesting series. So more on that coming. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to start regular, what I'm saying is we're going to start regular weekly episodes again in October, October 2nd uh, with Kandana K is going to be the episode. And uh, we'll explore some fun things with her. So anyway... That's it, my friends. That's what I wanted to tell you. That's the news. The Yankees are terrible. And this is episode 257 with Chelsea Kim Long. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are sitting down with a new guest. Her name is Chelsea Long, and she's been a fairly uh, long-time virtual friend of mine on Instagram, and I wanted to bring her onto the show today to introduce all of you to her and her amazing work. And so, Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. I feel like this is long overdue, but here we are. We made it happen. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. So full transparency, like I said to you before we hit record, I have no agenda today. I was hoping this could be a super laid back conversation about life, uh, faith, spirituality, and your story, because I've been following you on Instagram for a while, and I'm really interested in the things that you're doing 
uh, regarding spiritual direction, meditation, and how although you seem to be deconstructing and reconstructing and doing all those things, you still have an interest in Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, prayer, all those things. And that's not something you typically see every day in the deconstructing community. So maybe we could just kind of start with your your story, you know, your faith journey, where you were, where you used to be, where you are, and some of the ups and downs that brought you along the way. Yeah. So let me just summarize the last 12 years of my life yeah. uh, in the next few minutes. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, you know, if we take it way back, mm -hmm. I was born into a evangelical Christian family, um, grew up going to, you know, a non-denominational um, megachurch in Ohio, in the Midwest. And um, when you say megachurch, how, how mega is it? Gosh, multiple campuses I mean, and... So at the time, I feel like multiple campuses weren't as much of a thing back then. Yeah. So it was very much like the centralized, um, just grow this church. Yeah. But, and honestly, I'm so bad with numbers, but you know, it was <laughs> definitely the biggest church yeah. in our, in our kind of mid-sized um, city in Ohio. So yeah. um, just like very much. Yeah, everybody, every, I mean, of course, everybody I knew went there, but sure. like, it was a really big church. And it's so interesting, you know, looking back on it, uh, you know, the pastor of the church was like a highly respected man in the community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for what it was, they were, it was a good church, you know, like mm -hmm. there was never any um, huge scandals or anything that happened there, <laughs> thankfully, but right. Um, so that was, you know, pretty much my entire childhood was mm -hmm. just um, growing up in and around that church and community. And, um, it had been, you know, my great grandparents had gone there and then, um, my dad's family. And then my mom and dad actually met through that church in junior mm -hmm. high. So a lot of family history in that particular yeah, church. Wow. And, um, so I was born into that and, you know, just grew up like a kid in the early nineties, um, going to church, you know, like yeah. Sunday mornings, um, Wednesday night youth group Friday night, we went to, uh, my parents were very involved with the English as a second language ministry at the church, mm -hmm. which had a huge impact on me and still does to this day in terms of, um, realizing that I'm a global citizen. Mm -hmm. And the, those are really sweet memories. Every Friday night, it was mostly grad students from the nearby university that were coming to work, you know, improve their English skills, sure. but it was also a potluck. So mm. I got to experience so many different foods and cultures and languages. Yeah. And that is had such a positive impact on me. And my parents have lifelong friends that they met you know, through that. So, mm -hmm. um, I love to go back and, and point out positive impacts because I think it's so easy to get stuck in like negativity and resentment in yeah. the construction space. So, yeah. um, well, there's nothing and, like a and, good potluck, a good church potluck. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I, I think it really did, you know, make me realize like, oh, it's not just us who are here. Yeah. And of course the church had a huge missions, yeah. Um, impact. And I was, I traveled to a lot of different countries through our youth group and things like that, which, you know, now it feels more complicated with short-term missions, but regardless, mm -hmm. you know, that really impacted me in terms of seeing the world outside of our little bubble, which mm -hmm. was very much a bubble, you know, like I went to this church, I went to a Christian school, my mom ended up teaching at the school. So mm -hmm. it was very much my world, yeah. you know, and very much my place of belonging 
um, I mean, especially in junior high and stuff, like we ran that church, you know, it would be a <laughs> Sunday morning, we would have Sunday school, you know, uh, Sunday school or youth group. And like, it was just this huge expansive building with so many nooks and crannies and like build ons from the original chapel and all that. Yeah. But we knew that church like inside and out, we knew the good hiding spots, we knew where to go to get the coffee, you know what <laughs> I mean? It was like so many fun memories of mm-hmm. just feeling so at home in that building. And, um, I think that's what made, that's what, you know, skipping forward many years made it all the more painful to Mm -hmm. realize that I don't feel a sense of spiritual belonging in this community anymore. So, um, that was my childhood. When I went to college, I intentionally chose to go to a um, public school Mm -hmm. because I very much started feeling stifled within that kind of Christian school environment towards the Mm -hmm. end of high school. And I, I think intuitively I knew if I went to a Christian college that had a bunch of arbitrary feeling rules, I, I think I would have, you know, I, I would have struggled with my faith, but yeah. going to a public university was uh, a way for me to get a little freedom. It was just two hours drive from home, mm-hmm. but obviously a very different environment, big state school. And of course I found my little Christian community at the school. I was really involved with campus crusade at the mm-hmm. school which was again, a positive experience for me, but it was also really good for me to have a lot of personal freedom and then to feel like I'm able to make my own choices. And I was always the good kid, you know, I'm an Enneagram one, very much like stay in line, feel (laughs) resentful that people don't recognize like how good I am. I'm so Um, good. Can you not see? (laughs) Always feel like people are wanting more from me, you know, like And definitely feeling that resentment, but also really being aware I make really good choices. You know, I'm a Mm -hmm. responsible kid. And um, I think another piece kind of about those years was definitely it's funny because when I started deconstructing, it felt really surprising because of how much of my identity was wrapped up in the church. But then looking back, I definitely see the seeds of that in terms of me questioning things um, you know, from a young age, there were Bible Mm -hmm. passages that I would always just think this doesn't really make sense to me. One that I always love to talk about is in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus being the great high priest. Mm -hmm. And also that Jesus can relate something around like Jesus can relate to our human experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, a, I don't think Jesus would appreciate being called the great high priest because it seems like he was all about like knocking down the hierarchy of of church and religion. And obviously I understand now the context and who, you know, the audience of the original text, but still I was thinking, I don't feel like Jesus would appreciate that comparison. And also I very clearly remember being, you know, a 15 year old girl and thinking Jesus cannot relate to my experience as a 15 year old girl. Like I don't buy that, (laughs) but I didn't feel like I had a place to, ask those questions out loud. So I often just internalize them, shove them down Mm -hmm. or made myself feel bad for them. Um, I I definitely felt like if I am questioning something that is given to me by authority, it's my, it's my problem. I don't understand correctly. I'm not spiritually mature enough. Um, yeah, that I, I'm the one with the problem. It's not the authority figure is right usually yeah. white male, yeah. um, you know. I can remember being told that even in seminary classes, like, you know, this, this, if you don't understand this thing or you think that this is contradictory or isn't working, it's not the text's fault. It's your 
issue with God. You have to take that up with God. And I always remember feeling like, well, these two things seem opposite to me. How could they possibly work? And just being told that it's it's my lack of understanding. It's my fallen nature, you know, that makes me not understand it. Yeah. And I think that was modeled to me for sure. Kind of mm-hmm. like a spiritual bypass of, well, we just don't understand because our human limitations. And so for me, that was pretty effective at not necessarily shutting down the questioning, but definitely making me um, aware that I wasn't supposed to ask the questions out loud. So definitely more internalization of those things. Yeah. Um, and as I went through college, there were just other things that started, you know, when I was in college, now I'm dating myself, but was when Obama was elected for the first time. Mm -hmm. So that was my first presidential election that I was old enough to vote. Mm. And I was all in on Obama. And at the time, you know, of course, I grew up in a Christian Republican family, you know, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things that now I'm like, man, I wish I had this. But my grandma back in the Bush days, he had something called the presidential prayer club and they had mugs like coffee mugs. Oh, and wow. I remember my grandma drinking out of her uh, presidential <laughs> prayer club mug. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that. I still have that. But um, I wasn't like politically engaged as a teenager. But then when wow. I got into college, of course, a big part of Obama's strategy was being out on college campuses and kind of getting out the younger vote. Mm -hmm. So I was all in, I loved Obama. You know, he, I loved the hope, the freshness, um, how it felt like he kind of made politics feel way more relevant to Mm -hmm. young adults. And so um, I remember one time I went to a campaign event that I think it was Donald Miller, like the author and now business strategist was doing like a campaign event for. It was a huge shift. That's a side note, but that's a huge, he went from this, to this. Totally. But at the yeah. time I didn't really, I didn't, I did not see those connections. My family was like yep. not overtly political. So it wasn't something yeah. that we talked about in our house. Mm-hmm. So it was actually really shocking to me when, um, I started getting flack from, you know, the church that I was attending around my university, the older adults in the church were like, Hey, you basically, you know, you're not supposed to be a Democrat and be a Christian was essentially the message. Yeah. It wasn't as clear as that. But I remember one day at the time I was um, pro-life, of course. And Mm -hmm. I remember a church member like handed me a photocopied uh, article from Christianity Today that was something about Obama and abortion and whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being so flabbergasted that she would think that I, just because I supported Obama, that I was um, Mm pro-choice. And it felt like a, again, a shutting down of the conversation versus her approaching me and saying, Hey, what do you think? Like, well, how are you thinking around this? Um, instead it was just kind of like, well, you're not supposed to do that. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to support this person because of this one reason. And that Mm -hmm. never made sense to me. And I remember at the time I, I understood, I guess the complication around like, Oh, this president is, um, Mm pro-choice. So my solution was, oh, I'm going to volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center in town um, because I think if I'm going to say that I am pro-life, a vote is not enough. Yeah. What it, it needs, like if something is really important to me, it's going to have to impact my life sure. in a tangible way. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was how I was approaching it. But as I got later on in college, I kind of started to see 
that uh, social justice seemed to be in conflict. In my mind, it didn't make sense at all, but it it seemed like social justice was in conflict with evangelism, Mm -hmm. I I guess is how I would say it. I remember late later on, like my senior year of college, I got, I had read Irresistible Revolution by Shane Mm -hmm. Claiborne and Mm -hmm. was just like, wow, should I drop out of college and, you know, move to Philly? And (laughs) so I remember wanting to do some kind of initiative, like passing out gloves and hats to local homeless Mm -hmm. population. And my leaders with Campus Crusade were like, no, we're not going to, you can do that, but it's not going to be like a crew sponsored event because Mm -hmm. that's just not what we do. What Mm -hmm. we do is like evangelism. And I, I mean, I was very involved with that, did summer missions trips with crew throughout college. And then Mm -hmm. when I graduated college, um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had a communications, a double major communications in Spanish, and Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a missionary. Mm -hmm which is another piece of my story is that looking back, I think, I, you know, in high school, when you do those um, career aptitude tests, yeah, yeah, I remember taking one and I am, I mean, if my memory serves, I think that pastor was one of, which is funny that that would have even been an option, like from this Christian school for a woman, because it was not an option. Like it wasn't yeah. actually an option for me. Yeah. Um, but now looking back, I think i I, I mean, and who knows, maybe one day I still will be a pastor and I do try to yeah. pastor in my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, looking back, I'm like, I actually feel like I would have been a really good pastor and, but that just was not an option for me. So mm-hmm. of course I wanted to be a missionary mm-hmm. because that was a way that I could be, you know, a spiritual leader mm-hmm. within the context that I was raised. All, all that context, all that background, fast forward to where you are today. You know, you're mm-hmm. deconstructing. We've already mentioned that mm-hmm. word a few times and reconstructing. And like you said, you didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater because that's so easy to do. And I think, mm-hmm. I feel like for a while, I feel like that's almost like a phase in the process of deconstruction is because you, a lot of people get angry because they realize a lot of things about their past and it's just easy to just push it all away. But I think there's a, a point where a lot of people come to where they start to open up that door again and kind of let them, some things back in to say, well, maybe it wasn't all bad. Maybe I don't agree with this, but maybe this experience helped shape me and make me who I am today so I can give it and give it honor. But anyway, all that to say, like what triggered the deconstruction in you, like the rethinking of things to get you to the point where you are today doing the things that you do? And we'll talk about those things mm-hmm. too as well. Yeah. So when I graduated college, I went on a year-long missions trip mm-hmm. with a, a more Pentecostal evangelical organization. So that was my first, okay. yeah, my yep. first encounter. I literally, I thought they were a cult. <laughs> um, that was my first encounter with yeah. speaking in tongues yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Um, and so I actually met my husband on that missions trip. And I remember um, very clearly, of course, I, you know, we had fallen in love and we were kind of moving towards marriage after that year was done. But I remember very clearly thinking like, oh, okay, I guess this is my path now because I always, I really thought I was going to be a career missionary. I thought I was going to go on this year long mission trip um, and then choose a country to go back and just like the springboard to the. The next yeah, thing. It, yeah, it felt like a good gap year. And, yeah, yeah. you know, of course I was young. I wanted to travel and all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, but I met my husband, my now husband. And I remember very clearly, like that felt like a, you know, two paths diverged in the woods moment. Mm-hmm. And I took the path that led me to the stable, secure life that I thought was what 
I just didn't have another like future vision for my life. Of course, I had thought, oh, I can marry someone and we can be missionaries together. But in that moment, um, you know, that wasn't necessarily like he loves traveling too, but he hadn't, he's actually a missionary kid. It's a a whole other story, but um, you know, we were kind of this perfect, we had a great evangelical pedigree as a couple, but um, he, yeah, he just wasn't interested in being a career missionary the way that his Mm. parents were. So I remember very clearly thinking like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Like Mm. I'm following this path, which is definitely the path that I thought was I was supposed to do, which is to marry a good Christian guy and then uh, become a wife. I had no career aspirations um, outside of being a missionary. And now that Mm. that wasn't happening, I actually ended up going back to grad school or going to grad school when we first got married um, for to teach English as a second language, Mm. because I was like, well, that's something that I can do that can kind of marry my passion of um, helping people who are new to this country. I worked with refugee populations, which I actually, that was my favorite ESL job. Mm. Um, But I also in the back of my head was like, this is kind of a waste going to grad school and kind of pretending that I'm going to have a career because I know that when I become a mother, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. Mm. Um, And it it felt like a charade for me of thinking that I was going to have a career. And um, so around in those years was when my husband and I both kind of started deconstructing. Um, We read Torn by Justin Lee, I think in 2012. And that was really the first kind of domino, right? To fall. There's always one domino. It always starts somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, I remember really deeply thinking about it and just coming to the conclusion that it doesn't really make sense to me that it's gay to be a sin or a sin to be gay. And, um, and I definitely remember thinking at the time, like, I'm not supposed to think that. So I'm just going to keep this to myself. Cause at the time we were still going to an evangelical church. Um, And that was, that was still very much my whole world, um, Mm. you know, in terms of relationships and things like that. And we had a great community of friends there and they were all deconstructing in their own ways too. And so that was kind of, yeah, that was the first domino. And um, I think the thing that really pushed me out of the evangelical church eventually was, and it wasn't much longer um, after we had our first baby, I felt like, you know, that was a really hard time for me was um, postpartum. Mm-hmm. And so after we had our first baby, I just remember really clearly thinking, I am responsible for this human in all of the ways, but especially spiritually and these kind of issues that have been bothering me that I've kind of been able to just uh, handle internally. Yeah, I don't want to raise my kid in this culture. I had a boy first. So, um, you know, the thing that really pushed me out of the church was I, I really had like a a wake up moment. I have a reel on my Instagram. That's kind of funny, but it it really did feel like that where it was like, all of a sudden I kind of woke up to the fact that at our church that felt very hip and young and progressive, but their theology was so conservative to the point where there were no women in significant positions of leadership. There were no queer people, obviously, um, even to the point where any like deacons or elders, if there were women, they were because they were married to a man, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and I just realized I don't want to raise my child in a faith culture that doesn't fully include women to all letter- levels of leadership. And yeah. I don't, and at the time I didn't have any theology to back that up. 
Right. Yeah. So it yeah. felt so, and it was also this mix of, it's really hard to go to church when you have a baby, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's always during their nap time or whatever, you know, and you don't want to be like poured into the cry room and right. it's just hard. You're <laughs> exhausted all the time. So yeah. it kind of, it wasn't this dramatic thing, although internally there was a lot, in, a lot in that decision. It was more just like, eh, let's not go to, it's just too hard to go to church and I'm not really feeling it anymore. So yeah. that was kind of how we left. And then, uh, you know, so that was in 2014. And then the next, I guess now almost nine years, um, have been kind of an untangling of all those things. And at the time I felt like I had nowhere to go. You know, I definitely wanted to stay in Christian community. There was a lot happening in our friend group then too. We were kind of in that young married stage where everyone's having their first kid and kind of moving to be closer to family or for jobs or whatever. So, our kind of daily support system essentially disbanded all for positive reasons, but it felt very disorienting in a lot of ways. And we tried to find another church, but of course we only went and visited other evangelical churches. It might've been like a more, you know, charismatic one or whatever, but every time I just was so disoriented because I had this place that I had basically built my entire belonging and identity around. Yeah. Now I didn't see myself reflected. It was like a night and day experience and it was so painful. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I could have gone to like the Episcopal church or the Methodist church. Um, (laughs) But at the time it was either you're evangelical Christian or you're nothing. Like there was no, I was really not overtly, but definitely what I got from the culture was we're the ones that believe the right thing. Yes. And any other faith belief, even if it's Christian, is invalid is yeah. not right yeah there's 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 so many things that you just said that resonate with me i mean i'm thinking especially like when when you have kids i feel like that that puts a lot of people in a place especially if they're very serious about their faith and they're very they've already got some questions in there but they maybe have kept them at bay for a while but when you have that child and you look at that child it's like all of a sudden all those questions come pouring forward. And it's like, I have to deal with this stuff. And that's, that was my experience because I've told this story in the podcast before, but when our daughter was born, she had to go to the NICU. And so my wife was, she was under still, she was out. And so I fought raced down the hallway with these doctors to the NICU. They put her in this tank and I'm standing there. I'm like, can I stick my hand in the tank? They're like, sure. So I put my hand in the tank and she grabbed my finger. And I remember thinking to myself, how in the world can this child be sinful? Because all my life, like that's what I was taught. You know, you're born a sinner, you know, and you're destined for hell unless you become of age, whatever that is. And you, you know, put your faith in Jesus, then you go to heaven. I thought to myself, like, how, how can I, as a father, look at this child and feel nothing but love and nothing but like, I would never, ever do anything to harm this child. No matter what this child did to me, I would never push her away. Like, how could how could I be a better father than God? <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what was going through my mind. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this does not make any sense to me. And so we brought her home, like some months went by. I was reading for her, like a bedtime story from her children's Bible. And it was, you know, it was a very, it was a kid's Bible. So it's very, it's very, the language is very, you know, childish and things like that. But the idea was that God is mad at our sin. And so Jesus had to die to take away God's anger. And I remember mid-sentence, I shut the book and she's an infant, so she has no idea. And I said to my wife, I, I'm not reading this anymore. I said, I've gone to private Christian school, Bible college, seminary. I, I don't believe this anymore. I don't know what I believe anymore, but it's not this. And we need to figure it out. Like if we're going to be serious about our faith, like we have been. And so that just 
sent both of us kind of down this this trail of having to rethink this stuff because to your point when you have a child i think it just it forces you to wrestle with so many things that you might not have wrestled with before because you're able to keep it at bay stuff it in the closet and lock the door Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt that very acutely. So I have my older son and then I have twins, boy, mm-hmm. girl, twins. And so when I was pregnant with my twins was when I felt very acutely, um, I need to be more vocal about some things that have always bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting with my husband, he and I have kind of grown in tandem and we're kind of two sides of the same coin as in terms of our upbringing. So um, it's been helpful because we kind of come from, you know, we get it and it's been hard because he, you know, we were, I don't know how to say it. Like we were raised in the same culture, just him as a boy and me as a girl. Sure. So in terms of, you know, the view of women's body and purity culture, like Mm -hmm. a lot of those things um, I just always kind of just, swallowed them because I got it, but Mm -hmm. even though it bothered me. And so when I was pregnant with my twins, I, that was the first time where I was like, all right, we got to drag this up. We got to, we got to have this um, fight. We got to have this argument. I I'm going to start. And I, and I flat out told him like, I'm going to start bringing up stuff that I never have before because I am very conflict averse, but now I'm doing it because we're going to have a daughter and two sons. Mm -hmm. Of course, I don't know like the, how they're, I didn't know at the time how their gender identity would be, but sure. um, I was assuming if they were cisgendered, I'm like, I don't want her to grow up feeling singled out in the yep. family as yep. a girl. So if we say she can't run around at age three with no shirt on, same rule for our boys, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so just things like that where, and then also I think having a daughter really tapped into and made me aware of a deep um, wound. And I kind of alluded to it in terms of that Hebrews passage, but mm-hmm. that I I didn't feel personal identification with the divine because there was so few examples of even female role models throughout Bible stories. You know, it's like we had Esther, mm-hmm. um, we have Mary, the perfect mother of Jesus, you know, but we didn't have any like a, I was not aware of any divine feminine representations. You know, mm-hmm. I had no knowledge of Sophia or, um, you know, the Holy Spirit yeah. being more of a feminine um, presence or even really understood that Jesus embodied, you know, feminine attributes, yeah. uh, even though he was a male. Um, yeah. Now I understand all of those things. And it's kind of been like a retrograde grade exploring the tradition you know, to kind of catch up with some things that I intuitively always felt. Yeah. Um, but definitely having a daughter. And then at, around the time when my kids were very little, I was, and I still am, I'm a yoga, I've been a yoga practitioner for years, but I did a 200 hour yoga teacher training mm-hmm. and was really uh, guarded, but also so interested in the divine representation, uh, divine feminine or sacred mm-hmm. feminine within Hinduism you know, they have like so many female deities and they, in, in Buddhism, um, and feeling really drawn to the feminine face of God, which felt, and still, I think to a lot of people feels super heretical. Um, so that was definitely a part of those days was, I don't want my daughter to grow up feeling the same way that I did where God is definitely a man, you know, and 
women definitely are just playing like a practical role in the stories of men, you know? Yeah. And I think that's been a painful thing for me as a woman who is a super deep thinker. Clearly I take my faith very seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just didn't feel like that was expected of me or really, uh, seen as important, you know, whereas if you're a man or a, it, it felt like in the culture that I was raised, men were empowered to like do that kind of thinking and have theological thoughts. And the women could like run around and make the meals for the men while the men like got to sit in their office and study and like think yeah. about God and stuff. So I, I think I still wrestle with a lot of that stuff. Um, and I'm trying to move in career directions that enables me to sure. be able to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The divine feminine stuff is so interesting to me because I, like you, like I was just, I mean, the world we were brought up in was very patriarchal, right? I mean, it's all about the men are in charge and they're teaching and and God is just like that. And so I've always, I always looked at God as the father, but, you know, once I started the podcast, I really, that's when I started to really explore a lot of the, the deeper parts of the Christian tradition. And I was just fascinated. I'm still fascinated by like a lot of the Gnostic texts and a lot of the, the texts that didn't make it into the Bible. Like I was just reading, having Elaine Pagels on the show next week, and she wrote a book on the book of Revelation. And she talks about the other revelatory texts that were floating around at the time that the book of Revelation was written. And there's one in particular, I think it's the secret God or the secret revelation of John or something like that. One of the one, some secret book it's called, but in that book, the writer has Jesus saying more or less like, I am the father, I am the mother and I am the child. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's basically like Jesus saying, I can be whatever it is that you need me to be. And I am all people and all people are me. And I, it's just such an interesting way to look at it, but it's those kinds of texts that I was never aware of even existed. And if I was told they were existing, well, well, they're new. They're, 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 they're not like old. They're not ancient. They weren't around in the first centuries of the church, but reality is that they were, but for whatever reasons they were pushed away. And so these roots that you're exploring, that we're exploring, they have roots in the ancient parts of Christianity, which I think is just all the more exciting for me because it just means that my faith is so much bigger than I ever imagined it could be. Yeah. I think the thing that um, I've really had to wrestle through is um, the fact that the faith tradition that I was handed was so narrow based yeah. on the actual faith tradition is the idea of what it means to be faithful mm -hmm. um, because I definitely felt like to be faithful was to adhere so closely to this one interpretation of the scripture. Yeah. And, you know, early on in my deconstruction, and it continues to this day, I feel the sense of I feel so robbed because of the tradition that I was handed was such a narrow slice yeah. of the of the full Christian tradition. And and it's really just in the last six months that I have started to, I think more kind of, I felt like I, I was, it was almost like a coming out as a Christian again, yeah, yeah. because I had just wandered down all these rabbit trails and exploring and just asking myself constantly, can I still be a Christian and believe this? Can I still be a Christian and not believe this? Yeah. And I finally came to this conclusion that yes, yeah. Oh, and do I even still want to be a Christian with yeah. all of the baggage and, you know, all of the pain and all of the harm. And even to this day, you know, Christian nationalism and the state of our politics and all of this. 
And I, I finally came to the conclusion that like, yes, I'm allowed to still call myself a Christian, even if the majority of my beliefs are radically different than how I was raised to believe. And even if, um, you know, I spend my life exploring and not, and never coming to a conclusion. I think one book that was so hugely influential Mm -hmm. back to what you're talking about, um, the canon and things like that was the meaning of Mary Magdalene by Cynthia Bergeau. Yeah. And I don't know if you've read that one, but I haven't read that one. I've heard great things though. Yeah. It was actually, they're doing an e-course on the center for action and contemplation around that book. It's Hmm. fantastic. She talks about, you know, about the patriarchy and the reasons why certain narratives of Christianity became the dominant narratives and how the early Christian culture was much more pluralistic than we imagine it to be. And so it, it feels hard what I'm trying to do now, because I think it's confusing for people because I feel like Christian has almost become a dirty word, like in our just American secular culture. So I feel like on one side, I have this certain group of more conservative Christians who are like, well, you're not a Christian. And then on the other side, I have people (laughs) who have zero interest, whether they're post-Christian or just never were, who are like, Christianity is not relevant. Why are you talking about it? Also, it's archaic or it's, um, you know, intellectually dishonest, all of these things. And I'm like, wait, I'm not, I feel very much in this middle space. Um, And I also have noticed terminology kind of shifting. I feel like before everybody was ex-evangelical, right? Mm -hmm. And, And this is my opinion and observation is that the, that term has calcified a little bit in that resentful yeah. Um, more, more critical space. Yeah. And so now the term I'm hearing a lot is post-evangelical, mm-hmm. which feels um, a little more expansive in terms of we, this, this tradition is actually still so precious to yeah. me. Yeah. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I also hold space for people who they have so much religious trauma that they're just like, I can't. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I ever experienced religious trauma, even though, you know, I experienced toxic theology and things that, you know, I've really had to work through, but there was nothing, nobody was harming me. Everybody was doing what they believed to be was best for me. I think the biggest detriment was just the fact that I was molding my entire identity and belonging within this community. And it was so, so stifling that when I went into marriage and then having kids, um, I started to push up against parts of myself that had been buried for super long time Mm -hmm. because I deemed them, I, I kind of saw like, Oh, this is unacceptable, or this is not what a Christian wife or mother should want. And, and I'm actually writing a memoir right now. That's kind of weaving the story of my motherhood experience Mm -hmm. with my deconstruction because they are so closely linked. I think a lot of the things that I've unwound, my, my older son has always been very precocious Mm -hmm. and my kids actually went to an evangelical preschool local here. So he would come home at age three and be like, God is a man, you know, or, uh, you know, or, um, mom, why did God kill Jesus? And, and so for me, um, really intense that he was three, but that's totally, I'm like 
always been, you know, paying attention. (laughs) So it's been such a good opportunity for me to explore ideas and then try to simplify them to a three-year-old's level. And, but also to just say to him, if it feels wrong to you that God would kill Jesus, that's okay. That's your intuition pinging something about that feels off. And so you don't, I feel like the one thing I would constantly tell him is you don't have to believe something that someone tells you without examining it. If it doesn't feel right to you, that's notice that. Yeah. Because I don't, I didn't have anybody telling me that. And so it's taken me a really long time to allow myself to trust my intuition, to trust where the spirit is leading me. It always felt like such a contradiction in my growing up. Like we definitely, I went to a church that definitely believed in the Holy spirit and like Mm -hmm. the Holy spirit would, you could talk, you know, would put promptings on your heart or whatever, but it was always the Holy spirit as limited by this interpretation of scripture. So you know, it was, it this was is the Holy Spirit's limited. cage right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think as a parent, mm-hmm. I often let my kids kind of lead, uh, my <laughs> exploration. And I always just affirm to them, like, it is right for you to question, you know, it's right for you to question things. Um, some people think this, mm-hmm. some people are going to tell you things and they're going to, how they're going to tell you is that they're right. And this is the only way to see it, but you yeah. know, better you know that that's how they see it. And this is how I see it right now. And this is how I used to see it. And maybe I'm going to see it different. And God is in all of that. Yeah. I think it's so good that you can, you can raise your children in that, with that mindset and still call it Christian. Right. Because I think like, like your experience, my experience is that that's, that's not Christian. Christian is this very narrow way to believe. And if you fall outside of those guidelines, then you're no longer a Christian. And I think for me, just like so much of your story resonated with me because I was thinking just on my own past and how I was in this place in deconstruction where I was like, I don't think I can be a Christian anymore because a Christian means you have to believe this about politics. You have to believe this about women, this about gay people. And I don't believe those things. And I don't even believe these things about God and about like atonement and things like that. Like, how can I possibly be a Christian? And then when I, again, when I started the podcast, I started to talk to people. I remember a big wake up for me was when I talked to Bart Ehrman. He was on the show talking about a lot of the history of Jesus and things like that. And I remember I stopped, I ended the podcast and I went upstairs and I was sitting on the couch. My wife was like, what's the matter? I'm like, I'm so angry right now. And she's like, why? And I said, because I've gone through like how much have I poured into my education? She's like a lot. I'm like a lot of time, a lot of money. I said, it's, it's been like the most important thing to me. I said, but I'm realizing that there's so much I haven't learned. I'm like, I'm not like just some buddy picked up a book and read a couple of things. I was like, I got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctoral degree. I said, I just talked to this man. I said, I don't know what the heck this guy's talking about. I said, because he's opening up a whole nother world to me. I didn't even know existed. I said, don't you think that at this level of my life, like I should have a little bit more understanding of this if I've gone through all these things? Like, I feel like I've been lied to. So I'm just so angry and I didn't know what to do about it. But then- I started to like calm down and explore these different things that were now open before me. I realized like, wow, I can still be a Christian because there were Christians who have gone before me who believed all sorts of things about God and and women and all different things that don't fall in line with this narrow way that I was given. So 
maybe this is like a blessing in disguise as as, as we used to say, like, this is a good thing that like, I feel this way because now I feel like, I feel like I have this passion, this emotion to go and explore all these different things, maybe help other people who feel stuck in that place where I can't be a Christian anymore and say, well, you can be a Christian because being a Christian is not just this. It's actually all of this. Absolutely. I think, so I kind of first started publicly blogging. That was Mm -hmm. kind of a thing back in the day. I mean, I've always been a writer and a blogger, but I started intentionally blogging about my deconstruction. I want to say in 2016. And, um, I remember that was one of the first things that I wrote. I kind of shared my deconstruction story up to that point in Mm -hmm. three, in three parts, I called it the evangelical exodus and me. And, um, one of the things that I wrote in conclusion was if you want to be in, you're in and no one gets to define that for you. Mm -hmm. If you still want to retain Christian identity for whatever reason, you're allowed to. And no one can say you're not a Christian. If Jesus, if the story of Jesus is still inspiring and that feels like a path to connect with the divine that still resonates for you, you're allowed to keep any part of that that you want to and let go of anything else that someone told you that it was that doesn't resonate with you. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And it's so, it feels so difficult because I'm not being evangelical at all. I'm like, this is just how I feel. Yeah. And if it's helpful for you too, that's great. But I have no stake in you becoming a Christian anymore. It's just, I believe in the inherent birthright of spirituality and spiritual connection as a human. Yeah. And this is, despite it all, the spiritual tradition that still, it's my native language of spirituality. And so that doesn't mean that I don't draw inspiration from other faith traditions or, um, you know, ways of connecting with the divine, but for better or worse, that's my lens. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to spend, you know, my time now trying to mine the treasures and wisdom of that faith tradition that there is so much beauty in. Yep. That's so good. I think it's Barbara Brown Taylor says that she has cottages set up in various traditions, but her home is set up in Christianity and that she always comes home to Christ, even when she travels to the other places, but she brings with her things that she learned and that enhances all the more the beauty of her, of her faith. So, Hey, before we go, because we're almost short on time here, but before we go, you're doing some really amazing uh, work today. And you said before, I think it's so funny because you said before, that all those gift tests that you took and things like that, like it always came up as pastor. And I, I look at you online and on Instagram, I see the communities that you're building, the things that you're doing, and it's very pastoral. So like in your own sense, like you said, like you are doing uh, pastoral work, but maybe share with us a little bit about what you're doing in regards to spiritual direction and meditation. And I know you're doing a lot of things. So give us a sneak peek and where people can go and they can find you online. Yeah. So uh, when I did that yoga teacher training, I mm-hmm. walked away from the experiencing experience, not necessarily wanting to teach yoga asana, but really interested in meditation mm-hmm. and really curious about um, the contemplative practices within Christianity. And I had a, a phase where I was kind of like, am I going to go all in on yoga? Is that going to be my spiritual path? And then I really realized 
no, I can't, you know, like, I just mm-hmm. don't think that I can personally rid myself of my Christian identity, nor do I want to. So mm-hmm. what does it look like for me to discover and incorporate, um, healthy spiritual practices within my own spiritual tradition? And mm-hmm. so, um, the main thing that I do right now around that is I write guided meditations. Mm-hmm. Um, I have them on my website, which is just chelseakimlong.com or mm-hmm. I'm on insight timer And I do one new meditation a month. And typically what I, my favorite thing to do is to play around with really familiar Bible verses and then to reinterpret them. Uh Um, I recently read, do I stay Christian by Brian McLaren? And his book was really helpful for me in putting a lot of language to why I am staying Christian. (laughs) And one of them is, um, one is that we can have a faith that is not in conflict with reality, Mm -hmm. which I feel like so much of my upbringing, I was just told to ignore reality, ignore science, ignore my intuition, ignore the problems that I was having. And so um, ignore my body and the things that my physical self wants, you know? And so I'm very into embodied spirituality. Mm -hmm. It's tricky because I know for a lot of people who are deconstructing, they don't want anything to do with the Bible or like verses are really can be triggering, but I am aware of that. And so I am always asking people kind of like, hang in with me because this Bible verse that you were always told was about one thing is actually like insanely beautiful and points to these deeper spiritual truths. One that I talk about a lot recently is, and I think first Corinthians, it talks about your body as a temple Mm -hmm. of the Holy spirit. And I was always taught that was like, don't have sex before marriage because then you're impure. You're, you're defiling the temple. Right. Yep. And of course it's in context and all of that. But if you just look at the words of that verse, your body is a temple of the Holy spirit. Like that's such a beautiful verse. Yeah. And that to me means within my body, that is the place where I can encounter God Yeah. and God, you know, like my body is not dirty and unacceptable and all separate from God, you know, yeah. that is like the dwelling place of the Holy spirit. And so yeah. that's what I'm trying to do with my meditations. Um, And then I also, I have my newsletter. I kind of write a monthly newsletter with spiritual musings. Um, I'm trying to write, I'm writing a memoir right now in the process of writing a proposal and all that fun, scary stuff. I I feel like um, I'm very much at the beginning of what I'm going to do. And the last thing I'll share is that um, one of the main motivations for what I'm doing was actually Rachel Held Evans' death. Um, and I think for anyone in this community, we know how important of a figure she was. And I remember when she passed away thinking like, we still really needed her. Yeah. And in her absence, um, we, I remember thinking like, we need a lot more people to speak up to kind of counterbalance the loss of her and really feeling called like, okay, that feels like a calling to me into this arena of like, you know, what, what can my voice do to continue to bring hope and and shift the culture and hold people to account and all of those kind of things. So yeah. I definitely tend to now focus more. I, I really don't love the, you know, accountability culture and all of that. I, mm-hmm. I, I think for my mental health, it's not great to focus on that. So mm-hmm. I really focus on what can I contribute to the space that is beautiful and inspiring and and helps connect people to healthy spirituality. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. 
You're doing it. Thank and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about your work and just kind of the direction that you seem to be headed. So I'm anxious to see kind of where you go. And when the book comes out, you have a spot to come and talk about it for sure. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. But we are we are out of time. But I've really enjoyed this. And I think we have like a part two, three and maybe four that we can do because we have more things. Yeah, to, I look forward to, to it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'll be in touch. OK, thanks, Glenn.